God loves you just as you are, and so do we love you just as we are. And all the men said amen. amen. And Dennis Swanberg, the comedian, said, if you do housework for $100 a day, that's called domestic service. If you do it for free, that's called matrimony. <laughs> yes, we work for each other, don't we? So uh, maybe some of you moms can relate to a parakeet by the name of Chippy. So this was actually a news story uh, some years ago, ago down in Texas. It's about a housewife who owned a parrot called Chippy. And Chippy would sing at the top of his lungs every morning and fill the house with the joy of this song coming from him. Uh, but Chippy's owner was a very busy housewife and mom. And uh, one day she was vacuuming the floors of the house and she decided, because she was in a hurry, she decided, well, she cleaned the birdcage at the same time with the vacuum cleaner hose. So that was probably mistake number one. So she was vacuuming the bottom of the cage, and all of a sudden, as would have it, her phone rang. And of course, we always have to answer our phones, don't, know, don't we, no matter what we're doing. So this was mistake number two. Uh, as she was talking on the phone, the hose kind of got misdirected, and all she heard was, Kisapa! And poor, the poor parakeet got sucked into the vacuum cleaner hose. So quickly, she shut off the vacuum cleaner and opened up the canister, and sure enough, there laid par the parakeet on the bottom of the canister of the vacuum cleaner, full of dirt, fluffing his poor little wings, wondering what in the world just happened to it, and kind of at this point, wasn't singing very much, as you could imagine. And so mom panicked when she saw poor Chippy in the bottom of the vacuum cleaner, mistake number three. Took the parakeet into the bathroom, turned the water on full force, and dunked his head under the water to try to clean him up. Poor Chippy under getting washed up with all that water and uh, was a second shock of his life. And then mom saw the hair dryer sitting there on the counter and decided, blast the little bird with hot air. Why not? This is just his day today. So sure enough, blasted it to dry it off, and that was number four mistake. The next day, the caller who had called her on that particular day called back and wondered about the poor bird. How was Chippy doing? And uh, the housewife said, well, Chippy's not singing much anymore. After being sucked up, soaked, and scorched, he just lost his song, just kind of sits there and stares now, wondering what in the world happened. Maybe some of you have been through something similar, and you wonder what in the world happened here to me in my day. Well, we want to encourage you, you're not the only one. Chippy's been there too with you. But other moms have been there with you and have struggled through some some trials and crises in their lives as well. And I think some of the things that helped Rahab, as we look at her, are some things that can help you and can help all of us, but certainly want to focus especially on you moms here today. And uh, not only to survive, but to thrive in the midst of the things that you're going through. Yeah, so let's take a look at Rahab, Joshua chapter 2. She was best known for her courage 
to change her lifestyle but also save her family by her new faith. She chose to let go of her old way of living and to choose a new lifestyle of sexual purity over immorality. She chose to join with the outcast people of God over social popularity in her own city. She made the difficult choice of leaving behind the only life she knew and joining with a group of people she knew very little about except that God was with them and that they had the strength to defeat every enemy that they came across. So Hebrews 11, verse 30, actually mentions her. It says, By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. It's not easy to get into the faith chapter of Hebrews chapter 11. That's the faith chapter of the Bible. But Rahab, who was a pagan and a prostitute, and possibly the last mother anybody expected to do something great, she did something to earn a spot in the faith chapter of the Bible, Hebrews 11. That's pretty special. So what did she do that can help all of us, but, also, but especially our moms? What, what did she do that can help women and moms to thrive and to guide us to making the right choices in times of crisis? She made three decisions that were based on her inner intuition. Okay, number one, she had an ear for spiritual discernment. An ear. But, you know, a heart goes with that. But she had this desire and this ear for spiritual discernment. Joshua chapter 2, are you there with me? Joshua 2, you can see it in the version apps as well. Verse number 1 says, Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go, look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. So the king, the Bible says, or the mayor of the city, knows that some spies have invaded his, his town, his city, and where does he look? Where does he think about going to look? Well, the first place he thinks of is Rahab's place, where so many men go. So maybe they're there at Rahab's house, and uh, so they go there to inquire from Rahab, are the spies here? And she lies and she says, no, they're not here, they already left. Well, she's hiding them up in the attic on the top of her house. Joshua chapter 2, verse number 8. Here's why she hid them on top of her house. It says, before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. I hope you heard her confessions of faith in her words here. Now, this, this is a pagan woman. This isn't a believer in the God of, you know, the Jewish people are serving, Ray, uh, Joshua's God. She's a pagan woman, but listen to her confessions of faith. She says, I know that the Lord has given you this land. Isn't that, what else could that be but a confession of faith? She says, we have heard how the Lord dried up the water. She's talking about the Red Sea. The Lord made a way for you. So she's saying, we've heard about the great miracles God has done for you. 
And then she says, and when we heard of it, our hearts melted. Now, that's a good thing for the spies to hear. These people are all afraid of them. But, but yet, why? she says, we have heard of it. So everybody, as far as we know, everybody in Jericho has heard about them and what's gone on in their life. But she appears to be the only one who has mixed faith with this thing that they've heard about. She's the only one in the city. She's heard about it, but she's the only one that has an ear or an intuition within her heart. She's, I guess we could say she's hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit in her life. She's the only one that has an ear, intuition for true spiritual discernment. While everybody else is afraid and they hear about it and fear fills them, why is it that for her it's not fear but it's faith that fills her heart? It can only be because she has an ear for spiritual discernment in her heart. Uh, she's the only one who's willing to take this huge leap of faith. Because she's recognized God by the things that he has done in these people's lives. It's the same today. People recognize God by the things he's done in our lives, in our church, right? And so it was for her. She recognized God, even as a pagan, by the great things that God had been doing in their lives. And she's the only one who's willing to take this huge leap of faith because of it. You know, it's not easy. Far as we know, she's been living in this city all of her life. We're not told everything about her. But let's just assume she's been living in this city all of her life. It's not easy to now base her future life and her decisions on what she's just heard about these strangers that have come into her life and sort of decided, you know, to become disloyal to the people she's lived with, let's just say all of her life, and choose... Certainly by faith, because who does this? By faith to decide she's going to side with some spies that have come into her place. That is a huge step of faith based solely on the sensitivity that she has in her heart or ear, this ear she has for, for an intuition, for faith, believing their God is God. And she's going to base the whole rest of her life on that. Uh, what she discerns in her heart became bigger than whatever loyalty she had for this city. I'm going agree, that's a big leap of faith for anybody to take, and she's going to take it. But her loyalty remains strong for her family, and she pleads for deliverance for her family, not knowing if they'll be willing to follow her, but this is what she says, jump to chapter 6, verse number 22 of Joshua. It says they brought out her entire family. So she pleads for her family, you know, free my family in this situation. And uh, she cares for them. She remains loyal to her family. She wants all of them to come to faith as well. Matthew 10, 37, Jesus said, Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Sounds kind of harsh, doesn't it? But what he's telling us is that he wants to come first in our, li in, in our lives. He wants 
us to make Jesus our first priority, the top thing in our lives. Among all our choices, all our relationships, he should be the top priority. If your parents reject him, you still need to choose him. If your children reject him, you still need to choose him. You need to have a spiritual discernment that says, Jesus is my king. If nobody else in your life will choose him with you, then Jesus said, that is your cross to carry. That cross will prove that you have put him first in your life. That's what Rahab did. If you want to join the list of women who are heroes of the faith, like in, in Hebrews 11, do what she did in her crisis. Develop this spiritual discernment, a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. Listen to the Holy Spirit so you can hear him speaking and, and speaking through his word. Make Jesus the Lord of your life and the king of your life no matter what others do. You know, growing up, I knew that my mom prayed for us a lot. And it wasn't just because I liked to instigate trouble with my siblings. I'm just kidding. I would never do that. <laughs> no, she, she knew that we would encounter a lot of other issues in life, a lot of people in life that would try to get us off track and you know, she was always very cautious about the shows that we could watch, and she got to know the teachers in the school. She wanted to know what were they teaching, what was going to happen there. She paid attention to all those things and the friendships we had. There were many times that she would have a sense from the Holy Spirit that this thing wasn't a good thing, you know, that something wasn't right for us spiritually, and then she would intervene in those situations. We need this kind of spiritual discernment even more today. Every day, it seems like we need it more and more. We need the Holy Spirit's leading and discernment because we don't know what's going on. There's things going on we don't know. And so we need the Holy Spirit because there are people, there are things, forces going on that are trying to steal your heart and your family away from the Lord. The Holy Spirit can help us to steer away from those things so we can have that discernment to follow Him. Amen. So that's number one. Number two is she had a heart for God's purpose for her life as well as for her family's life. She wanted to know God's plan and purpose for her life and for her family's life. So look at verse number 12, verse 12 and 13 of Joshua 2. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Now, Matthew 1 is where we discover that she becomes a mother. Uh, Matthew 1 is the lineage of Jesus through Joseph, through his dad, and it tells us that uh, she married a Jewish man uh, by the name, if I did the genealogy right. She married a, a man by the name of Nashon, and some people believe that he was actually a priest. And uh, she became the mother of Boaz, who married Ruth, and became the great, great, great grandmother of King David. So she became part of the lineage then of Joseph, through whom Jesus was born. We could say Joseph was Jesus' stepdad, but it was through Joseph that Jesus gained his lineage through David, the throne of David, and was given the right to become the king of Israel. And we know he is the king, amen? He is the king of Israel. But that came through this lineage then. The Bible Knowledge Commentary says this 
about that lineage. We're not going to read about all of those in Matthew 1, but it says Matthew's genealogy is the inclusion of four Old Testament women, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Solomon's mother, Bathsheba. Do any of those names ring any bells in your minds as I read them to you? And as you're thinking about them, you're thinking about, ooh, those were not the best women examples in the Bible. And if you thought that, you were right. Uh, the commentary goes on to say, all of these women had issues in their past in some way. Tamar posed as a prostitute for Judah and became pregnant with her father-in-law. Rahab was a prostitute in Jericho. Ruth was a foreigner, a Moabitess. Bathsheba committed adultery. Matthew may have included these women in order to emphasize that God's choices in dealing with people are all by his grace. Perhaps also he included these women in order to put Jewish pride in its place. Yeah, you know, nobody is perfect. We've all sinned, and that's why it's so good that these examples are in the Bible to remind us that even though we've sinned, even though we've fallen short of God's bullseye, the standard for, that he has for our lives, he can still redeem us. He can still use us. God loves to redeem our lives. He loves to pick up the broken pieces and pick us up after we've fallen and help us get back up. He loves to take the Tamars, the Rahabs, the Ruths, the Bathshebas, and take out the stony hearts of bitterness and unbelief and give them a new heart that's full of the desire to love God and serve him and serve their families. How do we develop such a heart? It begins with our minds. It begins with what do we put in our minds? The desires we sow in our thoughts, the prayers we pray, the things we whisper to God. These are the things that God hears and sees and responds to by sending opportunities for us to follow Him in obedience. Uh, Psalm 37 holds a promise that Few people recognize, verse 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. It starts with delighting yourself in the Lord. Those spies were as shocked by her choices as she was of their presence. But it was God's opportunity to move her out of that old life into a new one, out of her old lifestyle and into following him. And she actually brought her whole family with her. So I was thinking about my mom. My mom was a woman of prayers from, from way back as long as I can remember, a woman who prayed for us. And uh, when, after Ruth and I were married, we were looking for our first church where we wanted a pastor. I wanted a job. <laughs> I wanted to get to work at the ministry that I had prepared for. And so uh, nothing was opening up. So my mom was praying. And as she was praying, because she was concerned, you know, about God's purpose for our lives. And as she was praying, one day, the Lord gave her a vision. And in the vision that she had, she saw a church. She saw the front doors of a church. And for some reason, the Lord had her to focus on the door handles. And she, she did that, and the door handles were brass. And she told me about that, and she said, I believe God's going to open a door for you, and the, door, the handles of the church doors are brass. And I thought that was interesting, and I thought, well, I'm going to look into the God's Word and see if that has any symbolical meaning. And as I did that, I discovered that brass 
the metal or the color of brass signifies a God's opening a door, which, you know, seemed like that's what he's doing, opening a door. So it's interesting that it was brass. So sure enough, uh, God made a way for us, and uh, it's a good thing he did because when I went to the superintendent of the Minnesota district where we lived, he's, he told me, he said, well, I don't have any churches for a guy like you that doesn't have any experience. So I thought, thanks a lot, Brother Herman Rohde, for your confidence in me. Maybe someday God can do something with me and turn it out for good. So God opened a door, but it was way out. We were living in Minnesota, Minneapolis, and he opened a door for us out in Colorado. Of course, we went to candidate for that ministry position out there. And when we went there, what do you think the first thing I did was? Go to the front door, see what the handles look like. And uh, later, my mom asked me about the front door handles. Well, what were they? What did they look like? What do you think it was? They were brass. You know, you know what? I'm sure there's thousands of churches that have brass handles on them, but you know, this was the door God opened for us. And sure enough, I guess she's a prophet because it worked out and God had made a way for us. And God answered her prayer. She wanted her family to find their, God's plan for their life and God's purpose for their lives. And that, you know, that happened for us. That's what he wants to do through every mom in this place. You know what? No matter what your background, your past, your failures, your mistakes, your experiences, your knowledge, your feelings of inadequacy, none of that makes any difference. But if, mom, if there's just a desire in you that your family finds God's plan, your family finds God's purpose for your life, and that's your desire because that's all Rahab had. Even as a pagan, she had that. And God fulfilled that in her life. And you know what? I believe for every mom here and you watching, he's going to fulfill that plan for you in your life if that's your desire. You know, he wants, he wants you to guide your family. He wants you to teach your family God's word. He wants you to model being a Christian for your children and what it's like to live as a Christian. What does it mean to live as a Christian? He wants you to train them up in the way that they should go. And I'm not saying dads don't because dad has to too. But, but mom, it's your day today, so we're talking to you. He wants you to, to help your children find God's plan. Don't let the enemy or your own feelings of inadequacy Keep you from helping your children and your family. Not, I'm, not talking about, I'm talking about your whole family now. Find God's plan for their lives. And when he tries, I want you to throw this one name in the devil's face. When he tries to tell you, you can't do it, you're inadequate, you're inferior, you know, you're, not, you're not knowledgeable enough, you throw, you throw this one name back in his face. You just say to him, Rahab. If God could do it for her, he can do it for, for me. Amen. Third thing is this. She had an eye for the color scarlet. Joshua 2, verse 14. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house was lived in, or the house she lived in was part of the city wall. 
Now she had said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return and then go on your way. The men said to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down and unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house. Now the line or the cord that was spun of threads was dyed with a deep and bright scarlet color. And that color was something that you could see very clearly from far away. It was very obvious so that they could see which house was Rahab's house. Every time when, when Israel came, every time they walked around Jericho, they did once, they walked around once for six days, one time every day for six days, they would see that red cord hanging from the window. The seventh day, they walked around seven times. And that, you know, and then they, they probably pointed at it with their, with their fingers and said, save that woman, save that family, save everyone in that place. And imagine as they blew their trumpets, the walls came crumbling down. Even her house came crumbling. But the Lord saw that scarlet cord and protected them. And as the army moved in, they recognized that cord and it saved them all because Rahab had eyes for faith. Leviticus 14, a scarlet yarn was used in a, a ceremonial cleansing. In Numbers chapter 19, scarlet wool was used. And they're Old Testament concepts, but they point to the New Testament and they point to Jesus. And they point to the blood of Jesus Christ. Scarlet red, the, the promise of deliverance, promise of cleansing, promise of forgiveness, promise of salvation by the blood of Jesus. When God made his covenant promise with Noah, didn't he put a symbol, didn't he put a sign, a token up in the air, up in the sky? The rainbow, the token, the sign that he would fulfill that promise. Abraham had a sign. It was circumcision. When Jesus ate the final Passover, there was a sign, a symbol. The bread and the cup of the communion table was his promise of deliverance, promise of salvation, promise that he would come again and eat of the cup and bread again. For, for Rahab, the scarlet cord was her promise to live a new and different life, and it was the spy's promise. You and your family will be saved. So, Mom, your eye of faith has a covering effect over your whole family. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 tells us this, verse 14, for the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife. Did you get that? Your eye of faith, your eye for that red cord, your eye for the blood of Jesus, your eye for faith in Jesus has a covering effect over your whole family. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife. The same is true for the unbelieving wife. The unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband, but listen to this, otherwise your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. So your eye for faith has a covering effect over your whole family. God sees your heart, he sees your eye for that, we'll just call it the scarlet cord, for a promise to live a new life for Christ, a sign that you belong to Jesus that blesses your whole family. The promise to bring them all to God's house to show them all how to live, to teach and train them all how to live for God, to model what living by faith looks like. 
Know that God will honor and bless your faith, that eye of faith that you have on him. So maybe you've come today as the worship team comes. Maybe you're here today, and like Rahab, you say, I want to turn my eye on Jesus. I believe he died for me. I believe the blood of Jesus can cleanse me of, sin, of all sin. I want to invite Christ in my heart. I want to take that same leap of faith that Rahab took. And I want to put my life in Jesus' hands. I want to invite him into my life. Maybe you just, even right now, have that, you know, that you have that discernment in your heart, that intuition that says, this is the way, walk in it. Jesus wants to be part of my life, and I need to commit my life to Christ. I'd like to just pray a simple prayer with you, whether you're here this morning or whether you're at home watching, and you say, I want to give my life to Christ. I want to put my faith in Jesus Christ this morning. I want him to take my life and use it for his honor and his glory. If that's you this morning, in fact, I'd like you just to raise your hand if you would. Just say, Pastor, pray with me. I want to commit my life to Jesus Christ. Thank you for those hands. Anyone else this morning? Thank you for that hand and those hands this morning. Maybe you're at home and you'd raise your hand as well and say, I'm committing my life to Christ. He sees that. In Jesus' name. Would you pray with me right now? In fact, if you raised your hand, I want you just to literally just pray this prayer with me right now. Jesus, I'm putting my eyes on you. I'm committing my life in your hands. Come into my life. I surrender it to you. Fill me with faith. Take my sin. Wash it by faith in your blood. And I commit to live the rest of my life for you. Holy Spirit, enable me to live this new life in Jesus' name. Amen. You know what? If you prayed that prayer, I want you to know he hears and answers that prayer.